0: Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Lion Martinez. So, Lion is a track athlete and track coach, and he's a world record holder in the 60, 100, and 200 meters for the M45 Masters category in track and field. So, who better today to discuss how you can improve your Masters performance than Lion? So, without further ado, it's time to welcome him onto the show. So, Lion, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. My pleasure is mine. Thank you very much for joining us. So, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, for sure. So, Lion Martinez. I am an athlete since way
1: back. Uh, track and field. I've done many sports, but the track was the one that was most kind to me and my genetics. And uh, also been coaching for about 23 years now or so which is track again. So I try to coach senior athletes here in Sweden
0: and masters athletes. Absolutely excellent. And uh, you've been, you've been relatively successful as well at, at the masters level. Can you talk us through some of your, uh, your achievements to date?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm um, a world uh, gold medalist, European gold medalists, as uh, and some other ones as well. 60 meter, 100 and 200 meter, also world record holder in the 60 meter indoor, the 200 meter indoor and the 100 meter outdoor. In the men
0: 45 division. Uh, that's not too bad at all if, uh, if, you're, if you're adding all of those up. So can you talk us through what, what, an, what a masters athlete is then? Because obviously um, people might have this, this preconceived notion of, uh, of a 70 year old doing some weightlifting and looking at you, that's not the case. So, or you look great for 70, but like, like I don't think <laughs> it. so. Um, like, what, talk us through what a masters athlete is and, uh, and how that all comes to, comes to be. Yeah, for sure. So, Masters Athletics, and I mean,
1: there are many different categories depending on what sport you're in, but in track and field, it's 35 and up globally. United States have from 25 and up and the sub masters, but globally, it's 35 and up and it's five year bracket. So, 35 to 39 and et cetera. So, and I'm in the 45 to 49 bracket.
0: Life has treated you very well until now. If you're uh, in the forty-five to forty-nine category, you look—you look, uh, you look <laughs> about thirty, mate. So uh, you're doing well.
1: well. Thank you very much. But uh, I mean, you just got to stay away from the from the alcohol and
0: the smoking, I guess, and and, and focusing on a healthy lifestyle. I think that's that's very important. And uh, I imagine uh, keeping yourself in shape with sprinting uh, definitely doesn't do you any harm either, right? I think so, I think as there's, a few, there's a few things in the athletic world
1: and in the you know health and fitness world that are always a staple. you know you'll have boxing, wrestling, gymnastics, you'll have sprinting and lifting. I mean those are things that everybody can do at a certain extent. It doesn't have to be professional, but it will definitely make you you optimal in the, in your organism in in my opinion, you know, and I like to say okay. this a little anecdote, but you know the the faster you go toward closer to the speed of light, the slower time goes. This' just physics, right so I guess that's a factor too. It's a joke. It's the oh 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 and so forth one faster than everyone else. So I guess that that takes off a minute or something or adds a minute to my life. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure adding too many on at the moment. But um talk talk us through then what the difference is between the, the masters category sprinting, which you're then then competing in compared to, for example, the the Olympics, right? So if you're mm. that's 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 technically then open, anyone can can participate. Um what's the difference between the Olympic standard and then, for example, the the 45 to 49 category, where you're in now? I mean, the Olympics is the highest, it's the apex of the planet.
1: I mean, and and those qualification standards are extreme for the absolute best. So, and and masters are open because we pay for everything ourselves. It is also to promote a healthy lifestyle and healthy life through aging. So, which is, you know, it's a good thing, I think. So, I mean, but, but if you look at the best versus the best, there's going to be a second difference. So the best guys in the masters will do about the same as the best women in the world, some senior level. And that kind of every, every five years, they'll be a little, little slower toward, you know, compared to the best in the world. I've been just lucky to be able to stay around the same, that second from the, from the best guys in the world. And that's a lot. So- I mean, I mean it, if you don't do track, that might sound like nothing, but I mean, 10 meters is about 10 meters. That's
0: quite huge. It's it's a big difference. I can imagine if you're if you're chasing Usain Bolt then it might be a, a little bit tricky but um what what's then yeah what, what's then the difference for you over time you said you said just now something quite interesting that like you you've not lost a lot of speed is it a case of having a good level and then just not deteriorating or is it a case of trying to really improve yourself after the age of like 30 for example Improving and staying
1: is the same thing. It's the outcome that's different. It's the, you know, the intent is the same. You want to improve and because of you're not naturally growing, there's no increased hormones or or muscle mass in in, in growth that you get for free, the result becomes the same because you're trying to do the same things. But, you know, with the different, maybe uh, the actions are different and how you plan it is different but uh and it's also a little bit different in between people because some people did not have a break i had a 10 year break so i had to kind of restart but it was also a good thing and coming back with more maturity and you know you could look at technique and biomechanics and you can you can always work on that regardless of course uh power and strength and 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 uh elasticity in these things help your technique or your your capability of doing better in your technique and your movements but there's always the brain's ability to adapt to new ways of moving, and if you keep doing that, you, you can improve. And I have since I came back. So, so I, you know, I came back at a, at a, about eleven five, and now I do a ten seven. So there's a big difference in in ten years coming back at thirty six or so to where I am today at forty five. So I'm I'm coming being coming faster from there.
0: So. I think that's, that's a, like you said just now. A second improvement is pretty big, and that's not quite a second, but that's still a pretty big improvement to be uh, to be coming back. And yeah, even even with added years, still managing to to shave time off. That's uh, that's pretty damn good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And when when we look at your training, then obviously you you had a you had a, a career initially, and then you just had a, had a break. You came back and you you went again. How does your training differ then compared to when you were younger? Some things are very similar. Some things are very different. I think when
1: I came into my adult years, you know, you come from, everyone was inspired by seventies training, eighties uh, training was coming, like coming into a little bit more. So seventies training, like East German training is a lot of volume. For example, here's an example. You you went and did temple races and then you went into the gym and to do squats and power, which is to me two different ways of stimuli or stimulating, stimulating the organism especially also depleting all the all the energy systems, not all of them, but a lot of the energy that you would need to lift. Uh, but it was not really a programming mindset. It was starting to happen, but not really yet. Um, and especially at a youth level, there were not that many experienced coaches, coaches with sprinting in Sweden. Um, but through the years then, there were always staples, like we understand that we need to run fast to become faster. Now it's just refined today. Um, for example, with the inspiration of coaches like, Charlie Francis back in the 80s, who started looking at this setup from a programming standpoint. So, today, uh, in programming, and without going deep into it, it's more focused on the speed components first and then coming, you know, extending that out into longer, longer, uh, more meters, more volume. Uh, and of course, there's a difference with my age with recovery. I have to be more mindful and I have to shorten up the periods. Before, you could do six weeks in a row. Now I can do maybe three, maybe four sometimes, depending on the intensity so that's a big difference and also of course there's always the new studies There are big coaching groups and now you have internet you have social media and youtube where you can you can read up and you can learn so much from other people around the world
0: and the, how, how does that work then in terms of your body because you alluded a little bit to, to recovery then obviously yeah how, how does your body then differ Compared to when you were maybe twenty, twenty-five, and yeah, mm. full of great hormones and recovering all the time, and you could keep going and keep going, and now, of course, it might be a little bit different. At least if you're similar to me. Um, yeah. So, how how does your body then differ in that in that time frame? I
1: mean the the readiness, the readiness to to exert maximum force and, and you know speed. That's the main difference, I think. If you look at my senior athletes, so we are at a camp and. Say after 10 days of training, I mean, we might have a day off or a half day off or so, you know, they're still ready to go. I'm not. So I have to be mindful. It's a big difference. It's, it's hard to quantify, but that's why you have to be very, very careful every day. So you, you have to be very communicative with your master's athletes and, of course, with every athlete. But you have to pay more attention because master athlete brain might function the same in, in cognitive terms you know versus a senior athlete and they say yeah I'm ready to go but they might not be so you have to you have to look at the results you have to look at their body language and for myself I just have to be brave and take a day off and 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 not ego through power through something because I'm going to break so it's a big difference i would say i mean again can't quantify it but and it's also building up over time there's a little resilience building up over time but i would easily say that i could handle twice as much 25 years ago so you have to be smart
0: with it so when when you look at then training itself you can't really use volume as much as a as a driver of adaptation right it has to be kind of intensity mm. driven or you have to be really careful with the intensity which you do uh deliver yeah exactly and
1: that's just you have to learn over time again you can't really there's, there's no set parameters you have to find out so, which was the problem when I came back, because I, I did the same thing as I did when I was 20 years old. Six weeks, you know, and Then then, you know, a few days off here and there, but I got in trouble pretty instantly. I didn't get faster. Because fat, speed, you need to be rested. That's just how it goes, right? But I think I have a good formula worked out now, you know, over the two decades where we do high intense, low intense days. So, it's a high intense day, low intense day, and so forth. There might be two high intense days, but then you have a full rest day after. And that flows pretty well, but then I do three weeks of that, and then we have a week, which is a de-load week, half volume, high intensity still, um, half frequency of training days. So everything is half down except intensity. And that seems to work for the majority of people. and then you have to be very specific about certain people that have certain problems and you know life life happens too, which is affecting us as well, which is always you know the total load on the organism so
0: and especially when people get older right like they have families or uh they have more responsibilities and you mentioned earlier that masters Mm. athletes have to pay their way as well so i mean Mm. maybe some some people have sponsorship or whatever but yeah i can imagine that a lot of these people are also just working jobs right
1: yeah absolutely you have a bad job day maybe you should not do flies today so you have to be mindful you have to have an understanding of this but we have a good environment i think where we figure people out we we have an understanding of each other and they respect my opinion if I say, well, you need to get off the track now because today is not looking too good for you. So, And sometimes athletes do that unconsciously. They can come and complain about something that happened, and you have to monitor them a little extra. So it is stuff you learn over time. And, of course, you know, some people are not as affected by life than other people. Some are affected more, and that's also has to be taken into consideration. While a younger athlete might not be as much, but they might still be, or they probably be still, or a bad night of sleep and so forth.
0: I can imagine, uh, at least, yeah. Uh, speaking to someone who has the occasional bad night of sleep for the the next day, doesn't quite go as smoothly as you might want to on uh, on those nice heavy lifts or or that uh, that yeah, jumping or whatever. Um, when when you look at the the difference between masters athletes and uh, younger athletes, then what what do you think of the the differences? when it comes to like the the cognitive side of things because obviously the physical side is is one thing where i think most people can kind of understand that your your body might not recover in the same way but what are the Mm. mental differences because obviously hopefully mentally you'll be developing positively over time right
1: uh yeah to most to most sense i'd say that you know there's nativity in youth or senior athletes that are positive and negative the positive is that when you're executing something, you don't always need to be extremely uh, cognitive. For example, sprinting, we need to be relaxed. You don't need to be a, you, you know, do calculus while you're sprinting. You need to be just very, very much in your body. But there are times when you need to be as well. And that goes into what's happening around them as well. So they come to training and they might be more or less effective. But I think as you grow, you learn more about yourself. So I think that's a strength. Um, but I think also that cycle. So it's not always a positive. Sometimes you overthink things. And that's, that's, a, that can be a problem for me because it, it, I can bring a lot of bias, which I need to be careful with because I don't want to program how I feel only, but I want to have components of it because I'm in there. So I experience it, but I don't want it to be like, okay, I'm tired. So everyone's tired. Like that could be my mind. Okay. We're done now. Like, no, no, we have athletes can, can handle more senior athletes might be able to handle more. And then you go to their, how they communicate, how they look. Is someone really winded and is this guy a tough guy or a tough girl? And you just want to go again because everyone else is. But you know it's not a good idea, right? So it's a trade-off. And when they go through their careers, they're going to learn more about themselves. So usually it's, it's a good thing. But everything has positive and negatives. So you just have to be aware of these things and try to communicate as much as you can. In the end somewhere, I always, I'd like to be in a recommendation state as a coach mostly. I'll tell them, like, I, I, I darely recommend this. But you will have to make the choice because you're the athlete and you're, you're the one who's committing to this. So. I'll let you decide. There's some times I might go like, you, you need to get off the track. But that's one of those athletes that needs to hear that. They will not be able to make that decision. They'll be confused and it's getting worse. But mostly it's like, this is what I recommend. Either we go one more rep or not. And I can, it's, it's also the opposite. That's be be long-winded, but you'll have athletes that you might need a few more intervals. or four more reps, like you know you, they need more, or they need to load more on the bar. We need to get some more. And they're just timid. So to get it out of them, you need to interpret if what they're saying is actual fatigue or if they're just getting afraid of the signaling that they're starting to become fatigued, you know, that thing. Like, I don't know if I should add, you know, 20 pounds or ah, uh, maybe I'm done now, Coach. Or like um, are like, you, you know, maybe it's just cause you're not conditioned enough, and you need it now in this part of the season so we can, yeah. uh, so we can benefit later in the season like this little trick
0: yeah yeah i I certainly see that in the gym um with mm. majority of people are the ones who want to push all the time and they want to do more and more and more and mm-hmm. you get some people who are a little bit more conservative maybe and they're like oh i'm I'm not sure whether I'll get that, so we'll just put some load on the bar and find out and if you can't do as much, that's fine um but try and trying to get that out of them can be can be tricky right because those people are not necessarily the ones who are always motivated to do that extra and do that more so what what I'm interested in in hearing though is is what a training session for you looks like. So you've talked us through obviously uh, a bit of the physiology and the mental side of things, what a training week looks like. But what does a, a day, a session with you look like? How how are you going to make someone faster on a Monday afternoon mm-hmm. after they're working, their their body is a little bit tired, uh, they're not recovering as quickly anymore. How are you going to get them faster?
1: So, yeah, it's a quite a big question. But just regularly, you come in, you warm up. I try to get my athletes not to just jog all the time because it's the easiest thing in the world after walking and it doesn't stimulate the brain. So, you know, we try to get them to do other things, just skip rope, boxing exercises or shuffles. You know, we can do some jumps, we can warm up with a medicine ball or a football or something like that. Um, then we do, we do stretching. Of course it's dynamic stretching and not to linger on that for too, too long. And we always do a dynamic stuff, um, uh, you know swings and and agility kind of things in with every stretch. I guess at least what I try to coach. So you do a hamstring stretch. You want to move the leg around as well in some sort of biomechanical movement that's similar to to what you're going to do later. Low volatility, of course. But you know, you and you do top to bottom, so you don't forget anything. I think that's a good good way to go. Or you could do main drivers first, like hamstring, glutes, whatever, and then you know the other stuff. But to not forget anything. Um. Then it's a little bit, you know, some people like to use elastic bands. I never use myself, so it doesn't need to. You know, some people like to use the foam roller. I do that occasionally. But then we need to get the muscle ready for the work, so we start going into drills. Usually, usually we do technical drills early. Um, and I have I'm very specific with my drills. I think that's also a, a dividing factor. Do you believe in drills or don't you? And I believe in them if you do them very specifically. So we teach certain things like how to prep the, the dorsiflexion to our flexion and not allowing the heel to go down with your dribbles, for example, this kind of stuff. Then we go in, either we go into some jumps or again, some more maybe explosive medicine ball work, uh, you know, to, to get hip flexion going. If we're going to do like start blocks later, we do strides again, just to get the patterns going, we work on certain things during certain weeks. We still work on strike position one week. We work on knee over knee, another one. And then we go into our working sets of say it's, say it's speed. So we go do some start block technique. We do a few starts, 20, 30, 35 meters, maybe. Uh, Later in the season, we'll have those be versus, you know, to up the intensity. And then it depends on where in the season we are. There's always this thing about mixing stimuli, but I I do sometimes, and and actually quite often like to put in flies there too. But when I mix those, the initial months are, are not maximum flies. It's just relaxation to get a few runs through. Later in the season, we'll divide those. You know, so we will have only the flash, only the blocks, or we do blocks to 60, just to simulate this, the, the full transition phase when we're going to compete indoors, for example, or just to mix it up sometimes to do some different things. And, you know, I'll give feedback and the last for feedback, uh, you know, we'll do some video stuff and we'll talk about it as often as we can. So that's very, that's very, very, a very normal kind of speed day. Maybe end up with some hurdles or something else just to, to. Argument if we depending on how much volume we've done today.
0: Absolutely, actually I think it's a it's a really interesting insight into to how masters athletes can train. So, where can people find a little bit more information about you and what you're up to? Well, you can find me on Instagram. I think that's the best way to go, and it's just my name, Lion
1: Martinez. That at Lion Martinez, that's me. Um, you'll find me. You know, uh, trolling uh, science for sport posts where I don't, find stuff (laughs) that I don't like, like wickets, for example, and you can come at me and we can discuss it. But, but Instagram is the best.
0: Perfect. Let's, let's take take 20 seconds to do that. So why why are wickets not good? (laughs) Yeah. People jump on me for this because I think quite simply that most
1: coaches, this is what I find when I ask them is the question is why are you using them? What stimuli are you getting? And most of the time. They've just done it when they were athletes, and no one's told them why. Just get on the fucking things and just run over them. Some coaches are good with it, and they do they have you know a certain thing with one athlete that they need to fix, so it's basically for not for creating you know you create a cramped space so you're not overstriding yeah, and that's fine you know if you get the results that you want, but you're not most athletes don't want to constrict your stride, you want to open your stride. And they just put them out there and it just takes time and it confuses the athlete. The athlete can even perform actual sprinting. And it's mostly youth athletes that, that are put them on too. When they can't even sprint, they haven't learned to sprint yet. Now you're putting obstacles in their, in their way. It's just complicating things. Take making it longer. They have no idea what they're doing. And you're making, you're making their ground context worse and you know, you're making all these mechanics worse. So that's why I'm against it because you always see them. Oh, we're doing wickets now. We're going to, no one's explaining why. And I'm I'm against this. I'm science-based, biomechanic-based. There needs to be anecdotal experience too, but no one can tell me the positive things outside of, like I said, maybe one out of 10. Like, yeah, because this is what we want to do with this specific athlete. If you have a coach that has 10 athletes running over wickets, that coach has no, no idea what he's doing or what she's doing. No idea. And he's just doing it for the sake of it. We need to remove all that nonsense, and, and we need to let athletes sprint naturally and teach them more important things like relaxation, movement patterns, uh, cognitive things that happen when you are about to feel the ground. And when you put a lot of shit in there in front of them, they're just gonna
0: be confused. So that's my point of view. Absolutely excellent. I think uh, it's really, really interesting take on it, and I, I really like the fact that you brought in some alternatives as well, right? So it's not just oh, don't, don't do this. It's you know what, instead of Investing time in this for these reasons, invest time in the other things, and uh, yeah, when you need wickets, then use it for the right reasons instead of. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Just using and one last
1: thing about this: one last, like for example, you, if you see an athlete planting the whole foot, you know, or, or being very seated, or some, you know, extremely simple things, basic things that you're not supposed to do in sprinting, running over wickets. That's a perfect example of a coach that cannot see those problems, but adding more problems. Without fixing the, the fundamentals, right? But when you see uh, a seasoned athlete going over wickets for some specific thing, like for Altis, they use them, for example, the best co- some of the best coaches in the world. You understand why, and they can explain it to you. So those are two different worlds, and that's what I'm trying to get to. Like All of that stuff, do other things, like teach them proper mechanics. If you cannot teach them proper mechanics, give this athlete to someone who can, because you're ruining their career. You're ruining 10 years of their life not teaching them how to sprint. So that's why.
0: So, <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. So Lion, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking and I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure, Matt. Thank you. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Lion for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to pull you in the direction of the Science Sport Coach Academy. Now the Coach Academy is an overflowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get your hands on some more great sports science information, all you have to do is hit the link in the show notes and you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free for the next seven days. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science and Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.